Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 152 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. Uh, I'm Kevin. So, and actually, it's more like uh, episode 152.5, uh, and or actually, Fucking episode 152.5 and a half. Maybe, possibly. <laughs> because we keep having stupid shit happen while we're trying to record this. Yes. So, somebody anyway. <laughs> fucking hates us. So, yeah. without further ado, this week... I did we... see something about Mercury being in retrograde. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to huh? blame it on this. So... Why is... What? Okay. I don't understand. I, I, I don't know. Dude, I was looking... I tried to figure that out, and then I went into a... I fell down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out why my belly button smells. And it was a weird internet search while you're like changing computers. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, anyway, <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> enough of sniffing your belly button and all that good stuff. So, this week, since we did not cover um, anything for Memorial Day like we usually do, we like to cover, you know, those kind of holidays, we decided, what the hell? Let's uh, revert back. And cover, you know, a badass or two for Memorial Day. And so I had said, like, I was like, Kevin, I found a badass that I'm like, I got, I want to cover him. I want to cover him because, you know, what I saw was pretty damn cool. And uh, what he, you know, what event he was a part of. To, that um allowed him to be awarded the medal of honor and of course i'm like i don't want to talk about war heroes and their crazy stories yes you uh, whined like a little bitch so yeah no i I've, I've had three or four of these dudes lined up like yeah i've got like three or four of these guys like on my list that i'm like these are the next ones i need to cover okay well we'll just start with him then perfect Neat. yeah <laughs> and it, it was just coincidence that you're like, oh, well, mine's more like about an event, sort of, than just a guy. And I'm like, hey, coincidence. Mine is, too. Yeah. So uh, mine is from the American Civil War. And Kevin's is from World War One, I, I believe. World War One. He yes. was very disappointed that he wasn't allowed to be in the, in the next military action after the Civil War. But he missed it by just like a, a few weeks. Uh -huh. of basic training if he had if he had gotten in a little bit earlier he would have uh he would have been able to go down and that plays a hang glory. out with his idol and shoot a bunch of cubans oh there, there you go 
So, my gentleman, I'm gonna jump right into it. My gentleman, yeah, that I, well, the gentleman that, I, that I'm covering, and I'll tell you about the event in just a minute. The gentleman that I covered that was awarded the Medal of Honor, um, his name is Jacob Parrott, and he was born July 17th, 1843, in Fairfield County, Ohio. Uh, he enlisted in the Army as part of Company K of the 33rd Ohio Voluntary Infantry. During the Civil War, and of course, during the Civil War, like I said, he served throughout the war, reaching the rank of First Lieutenant. And after the war, he returned home to his career as a cabinet maker and an operator of a stone quarry. He died in 1908 at the ripe age of 65. And he is buried in Kenton, Ohio. Uh, he was one. It says when I was reading it, it said that he was the first, but actually he really wasn't the first. He was one of the first uh, people in the army to be, be awarded with the Medal of Honor. You said he was 65 when he died? Yes. Okay, that's another strange coincidence then, because they uh, they died at the same age. <laughs> uh-huh. Weird. Yeah. Fucking real strange. Now, when I say he was one of the first people to be awarded the Medal of Honor, is because the Medal of Honor was not one of those things that was around, um, you know, since whenever, since Revolutionary War or whatever. It actually was a brand new thing. Started uh, in 1861 uh, when it was authorized by Congress in December of that year. It was authorized specifically for the Department of the Navy, which I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, um, I didn't know either. Because I know um, each branch has like their their, um, like the highest award that the Army or the highest award the Navy gives you, and then you have the Medal of Honor after that. Um, yes, like with the Navy, it's the Navy Cross. With the um, Army, it's a Silver Star. Yeah, Silver. And then star. you go to Medal of Honor from there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So within two months of the Navy being um, authorized with uh, the ability to award the Medal of Honor, the Army adapted um, the Medal of Honor for, for people in its ranks to be awarded. Now, the Medal of Honor is, is now actually bestowed upon individuals of any branch of the armed forces uh, who, but they have to have performed a personal act of valor above and beyond the call of duty in action against an enemy force. And there are currently three variations of the medal. Now those variations are army, Navy and air force, which I don't understand why it's air force since the air force is part of the uh, army. And the Marines don't get theirs because they're part of the Navy. Yeah. So. Yep. Now. Jacob Parrott was a part of this little event called the Great Locomotive Chase, which is also referred to as Andrew's Raid. And the locomotive that they were actually looking to capture was an American type 440 steamer. 
it now this was event was carried out in the morning of April 12th of 1862. Um, leading this daring attempt was a civilian scout and spy known by the name of James J. Andrews. He was an engineer, which means that he could drive the train if he had to. And he was... I mean, that's like trying to steal a plane and having a pilot. Just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and two and of his other... you guys drive this thing? No. Fuck. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, maybe, you know, just because he wasn't, you know, he was a spy, maybe, you know, he was leading it. He had to keep up with the idea to steal it and bring it north. Which one uh, of you knows how to fly a train? No, pl- no planes in this time. No, I said train. <laughs> I know. No trains, planes, <laughs> whatever, automobiles. So, anyway. Uh, oh, dude, John the- Candy would have been awesome in this movie. Yes. <laughs> two of the other members of his party were also able-bodied railroaders, and they were William James Knight and Wilson W. Brown. Um, they were actually both pirate. Uh, yeah, pirate. <laughs> both pirates. Wow. <laughs> Yar, this train and all its booty be mine. Yeah, they were privates. <laughs> um, in the twenty first Ohio uh, Infantry uh, Unit. Now, Andrews had planned to uh to accomplish two goals, and uh, with this whole hijacking. And the first one was to destroy as much property as possible. But aside from that, he wanted to actually aid um, Major General Ormsby M. Mitchell, who was moving his uh, army north through Tennessee and eventually hoped to capture the, the strategical important city of Chattanooga. To pull off the raid, Andrew was Andrews was able to recruit roughly two dozen soldiers from the 21st and 33rd Ohio Infantries, as well as one other civilian by the name of William Hunter Campbell. So he was, so uh, Jacob was one of those that he was able to recruit. The plan was to grab a, a northbound express train out of Atlanta at the fuel and rest stop of Big Shandy, which is now known as Kennesaw. So chosen because the location did not have a telegraph uh, place. Uh, yeah, did not have a telegraph station. That's which a smart would, move, though. Huh? That's a smart move, though, because then if yeah. you steal that train, they can't yep. call ahead to the next station and say, hey, some dickhead snagged our train. Yeah. No. So, yeah, it allowed the Raiders to have more time in executing their mission. Now, on that morning of the 12th, the team boarded the Western and Atlantic train at Marriott. I'm sorry, not Marriott, Marietta, Georgia, and formed <laughs> conductor William Allen Fuller that they were Confederate Secret Service agents on a special mission for General Beauregard. While somewhat <laughs> oh, wary General of General Beauregard, you say? Yes. Uh, yes, General <laughs> Beauregard. Why do I feel like this guy is foghorn leghorn in a Confederate uniform? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I say, I say, I sent them up here to take this train north to bring my men to me, and whatnot. <laughs> uh, so Fuller allowed. He, he was he was actually somewhat wary of the story, especially that 
they they had said that they were Confederate deserters. But <laughs> Fuller <laughs> said, you know, deserter, where is your accent? <laughs> well, Fuller said, you know, uh, fuck it. Come on aboard. And didn't have any issue with it. So once the train had actually stopped at Big Shanty and the passengers and crew were enjoying breakfast at the next door Lacey Hotel, uh, Andrews team sprang into action. So the Lacey Hotel sounds like it could potentially be a whorehouse. It probably is. Uh, so aside from the hotel, the only signs of life at this location, along with the depot, obviously, was the Confederate camp uh, Camp McDonald. Old McDonald had a... No, not that one. So... <laughs> Old McDonald had a train? Yeah. E-I-E-I-O. And on that train were people that wanted to rob the train or steal and it. And on that train, he had some spies. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> so from what I read, the train should not have actually been accessible to them at all since uh, sentries were actually stationed uh, not far from the train itself, so they shouldn't actually have been able to get aboard it at all. Uh, or, or actually, weren't able, should have been able to steal it, I should say. Um, but, nah, it wasn't a deterrent for, for them. Um, so, they, they, went up, they went forward with their mission. And William uh, Pentinger, who was another guy um, in this whole group, and some of the other men went to the passenger cars and uncoupled them and then from the rest of the train and they hopped aboard the box cars while Andrews, Knight, Brown, and another individual who uh who actually would work as a fireman jumped into the cab of the general and off they went. Now from the hotel, Fuller could see that his uh, train was being stolen and immediately raced out after it on foot with engineer Jeff Kane and W W and a locomotive superintendent, Anthony Murphy. Um, so they are racing out and they're like, realize mm, we're not going to be able to catch this train on foot. So they hop on to a nearby hand car which is a manually powered <laughs> track car, which if you've seen uh, any movie with, or any show that has somebody on on, a, on one of these little things, they're pumping up and down. You if, know, if and you've seen Blazing Saddles, it's what they save instead of the black guys from the, uh, yeah. <laughs> from the, the quicksand. <laughs> Damn, yeah. he lost a $400 hand cart. <laughs> so not far up the line, Andrew stopped quickly at Alatuna to cut uh, the telegraph wires and pull up a few rails. During the Civil War, the railroad industry was still considered in its infancy, although even by this, by that time, time operations had become increasingly sophisticated, including have, having strict timetables, which had to be closely adhered to to avoid any collisions. Um, nowadays, they have, you know, the modern... Uh, track circuits and signals to you know say hey, you gotta get the fuck over, you know, yeah. or else you're gonna get crushed. They also have uh, you know radios and shit. Yeah, 
So Andrews had acquired a timetable of the Western Atlantic line, and thus he knew when to expect a train. Although this still meant he had to pull his train into uh, onto the side to meet oncoming traffic, or to avoid oncoming traffic. <laughs> he and, hit this train behind a fucking billboard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he had to actually do this at the uh, W&A yard in Kingston. Uh, here, Andrews met the southbound train from Rome, Georgia, and its crew began inquiring as to the whereabouts of Conductor Fuller and the rest of the train. Again, Andrews, quickly thinking on his feet, uh, got them out of trouble as he explained that the train was rushing northward to resupply Beauregard with ammunition, a story that was very believable since it was an express a runaway run anyway with few station stops uh unfortunately andrews could not have predicted that the tenacious fuller would be in hot pursuit on him on him and he actually had ditched that uh handcart and procured himself his own locomotive which went by the name of the yo yona yeah he, Sure. Uh, and he was in hot pursuit. The Raiders were also running into another predicament as they waited in Kingston for another southbound freight as to pass. They learned that there were several extras behind that car, behind that train, which they knew that because uh, there was a red flag at the end of each train, which meant, oh, shit, we got to wait. This is turning into fucking Smokey and the Bandit meets the, meets the Great Train Robbery. <laughs> yes. As Andrews learned through a conductor on one of the trains, Confederate forces had learned that General Mitchell planned to march towards Chattanooga, and Beauregard was moving as much equipment out of the city as possible. This long delay nearly allowed Fuller and the Johanna, or whatever, to catch the Raiders as he learned that at at Kingston he was just minutes behind them. Unfortunately the yard was full of traffic and Fuller and his crew abandoned their locomotive there. Instead of opting to catch the next northbound, northbound run out of the yard at uh, Airdsville they saw more signs of damage left behind by the Raiders but the engineer of the locomotive Texas Peter Bracken handed his steamer off to Fuller's team and were in such a hurry that they did not even bother to turn it around. They're like, fuck this, let's just fucking go. Let's be real. The only reason they were behind is because Fuller stopped for fucking two Diablo cheeseburgers. <laughs> yes. And a chicken sandwich. Two Diablo two Diablo sandwiches and a Dr. Pepper, because I'm in a goddamn hurry. <laughs> Thank you, kind lady. <laughs> so, time was running out of out for Andrews and his Raiders. By the time they reached Calhoun, uh, not Calhoun, by the time they reached Calhoun, <laughs> wow, the whistle of the Texas could be heard in the distance. At Dalton, Fuller's onboard telegrapher was able to get a message through to Chattanooga about the incident just before the Raiders cut the line. With forces now approaching from both north and south, Andrew's team was desperate. 
they tried to burn the bridge at Chickamauga out of an oil-soaked boxcar, but it would not catch fire. Finally, at milepost 116.3, just 18 miles south of Chattanooga, with the general out of uh, out of fuel and water, the team abandoned the locomotive and took off through the Georgia countryside on foot. Every man, the biscuit said, "Every man for yourself." You know, do it. So most of the group, including Andrews, was later captured. Although some managed to escape back to the Union lines, the fate of those who were captured was mixed. Some escaped; others were exchanged for Confederate Confederate POWs. And a few, including Andrews, were hanged as spies. A handful of Union soldiers were awarded the Medal of Honor, many posthumously. Although Andrews was not eligible as a civilian oh, uh, to be awarded fucked. that, but that sucks. The governor of Alabama uh, commended many of the Southern side for their bravery, including uh, Conductor Fuller. Today, the general is a permanent remi- reminder of all of those involved in the legendary locomotive chase. Now, Jacob, for his part, he was actually one of the youngest raiders on the train. Uh, he was actually only 19 years old. And he... Damn. He's a kid. Yeah. I mean, the least they could have done for the civilian, I guess, is like buy him a nice steak dinner or some shit. <clears throat> Definitely. So... Right. Uh, being only 19 years old, you know, he was severely beaten. Like, you know, it said that, you know, some were actually, you know, in a bad way. Um, and he was interrogated. Despite his, this, yeah, this, the, the bite, despite his severe treatment, he remained silent. After the successful escape of six raiders, they became first to receive the Medal of Honor. Parrot was one uh, first of those six, making his award the first presentation in history. After the war, he remained friends with fellow Raider well, Wilson Brown. Parrott's only son, John Marion Parrott, subsequently married Edith Gertrude Brown, one of Wilson Brown's eight children. And in the early 1950s, Disney Studios released The Great Locomotive Chase, a movie to herald the exploits of Andrews Raiders. I fucking called it. <laughs> so, that man, Jacob Parrott, was awarded the Medal of Honor, and so were many others uh, aboard that train because they, you know, did something so heroic and put their lives in danger. And also, he was like, fuck you, I'm not talking. You can kiss my ass. They stole a motherfucking train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> if that doesn't win you an award, I don't know what does. I don't know either. You know, that's not like a hot wire in a car. Like, you straight up snuck onto a train and were like, no, nah, we're here from that other guy told us to come up and, you know, you, you know Jim or Jim knows you, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know Jim. Yeah, it was Jim. He told us to come up here and... uh you know, fucking uh, take the train. So drive. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to take it for no. a spin. I want to test yeah. drive it. God yeah. damn it. I'm thinking about putting a deposit down on it, but 
I want to see how it feels first. Like, yeah, yeah. Get it out on the road. Uh, I just don't want like, any old hook, train. You know what I mean? I want a good one. Yeah. Okay. If I'm going to spend this kind of money, I'm going to get all the features in this train that I want. Yeah. And by features, I mean stealing it from you Confederate shitbags. Yes. So. <laughs> all right. So before we continue on to yours, let's take a break. You know what? That's a good idea. All right. So we'll be right back. All right, so we are back. Now, when you think about the Marine Corps, there's probably a few names that kind of jump to the top of your list. John Bassalone, Chesty Puller, uh, Carlos Hathcock, names like that. Um, all of those guys would have looked up to this one guy, even though he was inches shorter than them, at five foot six. Uh the man I'm going to be talking about is Daniel Joseph Daly. Uh, Daly was born in Glen Cove, New York, down on Long Island, November 11th of 1873. But we're not going to hold the fact that he's from Long Island against him. We'll give him a chance here. Yeah. Um, as a young man, he didn't kind of, he, like I said, didn't grow to any giant height or massive size, full grown. He was a, a five foot six, 135 pounds soaking wet. Not a real big guy. Uh-huh. Um, but that also didn't stop him from becoming a successful amateur boxer. Um, he was also a newsie as a kid, so it got to be fairly tough to like, you know, you're getting the shit kicked out of you in the streets. The other kids trying to sell newspapers out from underneath you, you know, it yeah. be got to be rugged. So, like many young men of his time, he was a pretty big fan of Teddy Roosevelt. I get that, and in an effort to meet and possibly fight side by side with his hero. He enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1898. He starts his training at the Brooklyn Navy Yard and would end up like every other Marine since forever uh, training at Paris Island in South Carolina. Sadly for him, the Spanish American war ended while he was coming to the very end of his basic training. Mm -hmm. So, he doesn't get to go to go to Cuba and fight with the Rough Riders, which sure bummed him out. But luck turned in his favor, though, when the Boxer Rebellion kicks off in China. And this all happened just after he had been assigned to the Asiatic Fleet. Anybody that's not familiar, Marines in the Navy, hand in hand, you have a boat in the water. That's the Navy. You have guys that go off of that boat to kill people. Those are Marines. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they kind of... Uh, uh, symbiotic relationship. Yes. So the Boxer Rebellion was an uprising of, uh, of the Chinese peasantry that tried to push out any other country that held, that held any kind of foreign influence over the people or government of China. And this was led by a secret society known as the Boxers. Um, so the big reason for the uprising is that the Chinese people were becoming impoverished by foreign powers in the country and if the Chinese people were going to be financially destroyed and have every aspect of their lives controlled by anyone, it was going to be the Chinese government as God intended. We don't need the Americans. We don't want the British. We don't want the Germans. If anybody's going to fuck us, we want our own people to fuck us. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not going to work out terribly for us in, you know, 60-ish years. No. You know. <laughs> So at this point, you're probably wondering why Dan Daly and a herd of Marines are about to, you know, land in China. 
Well, the answer is pretty simple. So the U.S. had recently opened trade and working relationships with the Chinese uh, with the Chinese government, and the boxers are trying to force all of these foreigners out. And if there's one thing the U.S. government does not take kindly to, it's having their money and trade systems fucked with. No, no, they don't. Al Capone can order all these murders and shit. We're going to get his ass on tax evasion. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Don't fuck with their money. That's, that's, you know, no, no. So Daly and his fellow Marines land in China and start making their way to the U.S. Embassy in Peking, which is now Beijing, the capital. And they were headed to what's called the Foreign Legation Zone. And this is an entire area of the city where all of these different foreign countries have their, uh, have their embassies set up. It's like a, a, a very large portion of the city that these guys have just come in and been like, you guys need to go because we're putting our shit here. So they, they arrive at the U.S. Embassy uh, and find that it's surrounded by German troops. So, you know, one of one of Daly's commanders obviously goes and politely asks them to leave. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. They attack the crowds and push them out of the area. Uh, killing and wounding a, a, a large portion of these German troops that are just like fucking around with their embassy. <laughs> so with the defensive position around the embassy pretty badly chewed up from Marine gunfire and what the Germans had been trying to do to break through it, uh, a, a, a large portion, and why and I say large portion of these Marines headed back to find munitions and supplies, I mean all of them except for one guy who stayed to defend the embassy. And that one guy, unless you had not guessed by now, was, was Dan Daly. I didn't guess it. <laughs> so he's like, nah, you guys go. I- I'm good. I'll hang out here. <laughs> so he's, he's in the embassy, kind of just like walking around on a, like a parapet or a balcony or something like that, smoking a cigarette. And he hears this large crowd of people and kind of looks to, you know, turns to look down the street, and there is this mob of boxers charging towards the embassy with rifles, torches, spears, other various forms of weaponry, essentially anything they can get their hands on, they've got it. And what's kind of strange with the boxers is they had, they, they were a very spiritual group, and they thought that by you know practicing their spirituality that they did and martial arts and all this stuff that they had honed themselves to be invulnerable to gunfire like they were like we can be shot and not die <laughs> so daily yeah. sees this takes one last drag off a cigarette <clears throat> drops it to the ground crushes it under his heel loads a belt into his m1895 colt machine gun and takes aim at the now swarming horde. <laughs> so this is what was said afterwards. Quote, in the presence of the enemy during the Battle of Peking, China, 14 August 1900, Daly distinguished himself by meritous conduct. That's the most boring Medal of Honor citation of all time. Yeah. Here's what really happened. Dan Daly takes up his, posi- his position and defended the embassy by himself again with nothing but a machine gun and a bolt action 30 caliber rifle. <laughs> he fired almost nonstop. The only only real break was when he had to stop to reload the machine gun. And when he did that, he was still taking pot shots with his bolt action rifle 
trying to work both at the same time just to, you know, cover himself. Yeah. When his fellow Marines returned the next morning, they had a hard time moving down the street to the embassy without stepping on the bodies. <laughs> With all that said and done, Daly had mowed down at bare minimum 200 boxer rebels by wow. himself. <laughs> wow. More than one of the Marines uh, that had come back said that when they found him the next morning, he was sitting next to the machine gun, smoking a cigarette, just hanging out like it was no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so what'd you do? <clears throat> eh, not much, you know, just, just killed, killed a few hundred Chinese. He's just sitting there, just sitting there, just smoking a butt. They walk up and he's like, that was your guy's night. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened here? Oh, nothing big. I mean, they're come probably, on, that's out of cigarettes, but you know, they're probably, you're, you're, your evening looked like it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, got down the last few butts. You, you boys get a good night's sleep? Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so the next time Dan Daly kind of pops up in history is uh, 1914, when the Corps decided that Haitian rebels needed to die, and Gunnery Sergeant, at this point in time, Gunnery Sergeant Dan Daly was the one to make them dead. Now... I have to sit, I have to stop you right there. Sure. So, and ultimately what happened with that is we were actually kicked out. Of China? Of China. Yeah. Okay. Now, at, from that point on, we vowed that any place that we deemed as what they refer to as an area of influence. You love that term. <laughs> well that's this is actually this is actually where the term came from mm -hmm. okay and they use that to get into different things after that but what right. they really but their next time they actually used it as, you know to as an area of influence was vietnam world war ii not so much. Yes, yes, because we went and helped the Chinese fight the uh, the Japanese before we got involved in the war officially. Well, we also went and helped the the British fight the Germans before we got in the war officially. But the the British are kind of like they're kind of like that cousin that shows up everyone like at a family reunion where you're like, "Hey, man, how you been? I haven't seen you in forever since we kicked the shit out of you." Mm -hmm. We're still cool, though, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Wait, you so you need help with something? Somebody's fucking with my family? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that, that's the British. Like, we'll, we'll bust their balls, but, you know, if they ever need help, we're right there. Uh-huh. And the French are like that annoying little brother that just gets himself in trouble, and you're like, fuck, now I gotta go beat this guy up. You know? So, uh... So, July 28th, 1915, Daly... And only 329 other Marines. So the entire only. Marine force, the entire Marine force that was sent into Haiti was 330 men. Oh, not, not a lot. Um, so they landed Port-au-Prince uh, on orders of arguably one of the worst presidents ever, Woodrow Wilson. Eh. He, he, he did screen the fucking KKK's movie at the White House, though. So kind of a huge piece of shit. Also stopped us from getting involved in World War One sooner when we could have saved, we could have ended it quicker, and you know, wow. maybe not so many people would have died. 
So, yeah. I mean, so did, uh, you know, another guy that was for another war after, you know, he was like, eh, we're not going to get involved. We're not going to get because involved. We- we learned our lesson with World War One. We're not going to get involved. And then the Japanese done fucked up. And then we're well, like, oh, hey. I don't think they were actually, I don't, uh, you know, part of me thinks that they weren't actually going to get involved in that either. Um, then the Japanese fucked up and Uncle Sam's like, I've got the weirdest boner right now. I think I have to kill something. <laughs> well... Yeah, America we were, got a war boner and we had to get rid of it. We were There's only one way. Eye, no matter what. Yeah. I There's mean, only with, one way to quench a murder boner once you've once you've got it. But the the Germans we weren't really gonna touch it. We were you know, we didn't know I mean we supposedly didn't know that they were doing bad things to Jews. Yeah. But as Americans, we are not good at fighting people that look like us. But uh, when I say us, I mean predominantly white men at the time were not good at fighting people that look like, like us. No, we, I'm sorry. I've got that backwards. We're better at killing people that look like us because uh, Vietnam well, didn't work out well. Neither did Korea. Well, uh, you know. Well, I mean, FDR's, you know, thought was that's their problem over there. Yeah. That is a that is a European problem. That's also that's why he's American the lesser problem. Roosevelt. Uh, I don't know. He 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 did good shit, man. Dude, I'm telling you, if if Teddy Roosevelt had been the president during World War II, as soon as the first British soldier was killed in Dresden, he'd have been like, ah. Yeah, but <laughs> he'd have got back was... into his fucking Rough Rider uniform and been like, uh, get on, get on the phone and be like, uh, I need Churchill. What? Put Winston Churchill on the phone right now. <laughs> But, but the thing is, Prime is, Minister, do you have horses? No, fuck it, we'll bring ours. It'll be fine. <laughs> the thing is, is though, he did more. I mean, he got us out of a depression. You know, yeah, uh, FDR. He got us out of the Great Depression. Yeah, and that's why, because things were starting to look up. That's why he was like, "Nah, I think we're gonna." You know, we're doing good. We're doing good. You know, things are coming along. We don't need to get into something that's going to make us spend, you know, a lot of money and do all this stuff. Nah. Well, I mean, and the, and the British and the French got this controlled. No. You know, they, can, they can take it. You know. The Japanese, well, they, they might or might not. Who cares? They're only something. killing Chinese people. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they've been doing that for hundreds of years anyway. Who cares? You know, we'll we'll sit back here and just kind of, you know, take it easy. I mean Yeah. But then they then they fucked up and <laughs> somebody somebody fu- fucking slipped up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well then we found out what the Germans were really doing. Yeah. Know? And then we're like, it, oh no, 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 motherfucker. <laughs> no, no, we don't like that. No. <laughs> We're going to go smack you a yeah. couple times. But we're going to go really smack the fuck out of those assholes over there first. <laughs> Maybe at the same time. But we're going to smack them even worse. You want to know why we can do it at the same time? Because we're America and we are fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I guess. Sure. Hey, man. 
Tell me another country that's ever had any success fighting a war on two fronts and won that fucking war. Insert Jeopardy music. Yep, that's what I thought. Romans. Yeah, sure. That was that was like way the fuck back when. And the last I checked, the Romans don't exist anymore. Yes, but you said name someone else. I meant like a real army. Like if you put our guys up against Whoa! the Romans, who the fuck's oh. gonna win that? Oh. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, oh the Romans, the Romans. They got killed by a bunch of motherfuckers that lived in huts in the woods with no weapons and no training. Yeah, and but got their asses handed to them. But they still fucked them up though. For the most part. Yeah. They got their dicks handed to them by a dude with elephants. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> For a short period of time, and then they came and back, and that's when their 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 leaders weren't trying to fuck their own sisters. Well, <laughs> I don't. Well, that I mean, yeah, that wasn't uh, fucking Nero and Caligula were both fucked in the head, like big time. Yes. Yeah, but. <laughs> I mean, one was fucked in the head because he just survived a fucking, you know, bubonic plague. And one was fucked in the head because it was genetics. Yeah. Wasn't the first, wasn't the last. Anyway, the Romans don't exist. They can't hurt you. Sure. I don't know if Romans still exist or not. I don't really care. Yeah, they're called Italians. So, the trouble in Haiti started after years of uh, economic instability, which led to the murder of President... Oh, son of a bitch. Nope, I'm pretty sure it wasn't President Oh, son of a bitch. Vibron Guillerme Sam. Fuck, what a fucking name. You anyway, can't say that ten times fast. I, I can't say that one more time. <laughs> oh, and also the U.S. had some financial interest in Haiti at the time, which also you should find absolutely shocking that, you know, we're going to war over, uh, you know, shit that we've made investments in. So here's how messed up Haiti was at the time. I mean, <laughs> over the course of four years, they had six, count them, six different presidents in four years. Um, that's that's nothing. And, and unfortunately for the small island nation, they haven't fared much better since then. Uh, they kind of had to deal with a guy named Francois Duvolier, uh, better known as Papa Doc from 1957 to 1971. And that man very, very narrowly ma- uh, missed landing on our uh, on our asshole tournament radar because he was a real piece of shit, and so was his kid. Well, this particular political uprising was led by a group called the Kakos. Kakos, Kakos. Anyway, whatever they are. Kakos. Um, so the Marines had been pushing the uh, the Kakos around the area, of the, uh, around areas of the island. <laughs> pushing the Dude, Kaka. <laughs> C A C O S. Cacos. 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 Yeah. Pushing that caca. I'm going to call them rebels. <laughs> rebels. So the, 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 the Marines have been pushing these rebels across areas of the island. And one day, when trying to cross a river, uh, the 40 man platoon that, that Daly was involved with was You're ambushed out. by. Oh, no. Pretty fucking. It probably would have been better. Uh, they were ambushed by 400, uh, 400 rebels from three different directions. So as far as ambushes go, 
this one was pretty damn good. Mm. Under heavy fire, again from three different directions, the uh, the Marines managed to fight their way across the river and force the rebels to retreat. Because I mean, they're they're Marines. That's kind of what they do. Um, but so even though they fought, yeah, that's true. I, I think this was pre crayon eating. I think this was like, uh, you know, they were still just like, these guys were just eating raw meat and barking at the fucking moon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to where, say that they don't still, but, you know, who knows? This is where they came up with their uh, their, their song. <laughs> uh, My baloney has a first name. Oh, no. <laughs> Montezuma. So the walls are triple well, I mean, Montezuma's not in uh, Haiti, but... No, it's but I'm saying else. during this period is when they... Yeah. Well, they were fucking ridiculous. They're crazy. Um, so even though they had fought them off, the core was still in some pretty deep shit. Uh, in the crossfire, and I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence, the donkey that had been carrying the lone machine gun was killed and sunk to the bottom of the river. <laughs> yes, this was at a point in time when machine guns had to be mounted to goddamn donkeys. Poor Dominic. He's dead. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Dominic the donkey. The Italian machine gun donkey. <laughs> God, that song would have been so, so much fucking better. Oh, fuck. Anyway. So so the Marines set up a, uh, a as, as much of a defensive position as they can getting ready for a counterattack that they were expecting at dawn. And uh, things are looking pretty bad for our our boys here. Uh, They're way, way outnumbered. We're talking like, at this point in time, probably closer to 20 to 1 than 10 to 1. Um, And they've got no machine gun, and they're outgunned big time. So as most of these guys are, you know, smoking cigarettes, writing goodbye letters, trying to get right with Jesus – Dan Daly is like, nah, fuck that. So he dumps all his gear, sneaks back to the river, hops down into the muddy water, swims to the bottom of this fucking river, retrieves the machine gun from a dead donkey, puts it up on shore, goes back down in and grabs all three cans of ammo. Gets back on shore, straps the machine gun to his back and carries three cans of fucking ammunition with him. Keep in mind, this is a machine gun. This is a machine gun that takes two people to set up. <laughs> and this guy's got it strapped to his fucking back. <laughs> oh, we're going to have some fun to that. So the next morning, the rebels, you know, they're they're waking up and, you know, they're probably having their coffee and being like, ah, ah, just about time to go kill us some Marines. Um, and while they're sitting there still waking up and brushing their teeth and having their orange juice and shit. The Marines come flying through the woods, the fucking favorite sons of Uncle Sam armed to the teeth, and they kill every single one of these guys that had ambushed them the day before. <laughs> so we're, we're at this point in time, again, we're looking 20 to 30 men because they had taken casualties at the Battle at the River, go through and mow down 400 rebels. Like it's their job. Oh wait, because it fucking is. So with, 
you know, you never really hear about the Marines being sent in for like humanitarian aid and shit. These are the guys that are like, you know, we got to kill this motherfucker. And they're like, oh, 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 me, me, send us. I want to do it. You know, <laughs> the army's like, yeah, oh, we'll go in and hand out sacks of rice and shit. That's fine. The Marines are just like, huh? I smell bad guys need to die. What? Uh-huh. And they just start grunting at each other. <laughs> no offense to anybody that was ever a marine we love you guys we just gotta give you shit because we're both from army families uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway for his uh involvement in this dan daly joined some very very elite company one of only 19 men in united states history to be awarded two Medals of Honor, which is exceptionally impressive. Wow. And in case, you know, we're going to kind of carry on here. In case you forgot what time frame we're in, he was in Haiti in 1915. And there was a small conflict, you know, small conflict taking place in Europe that the U.S. would get involved with uh, involved with on April 2nd of 1917. Um to that point in time, I think it was possibly the deadliest war ever fought. You know, no big deal. It's just like a, you know, 15, 16 different countries that went to war over some jerk off and his wife getting killed in a car. Um, but anyway. As uh, plus, soon as, also, plus also it was because of a little tiny piece of land. Yeah. But not one to skip an opportunity to kick somebody's ass and kill people. Dan Daly jumps at the opportunity to go for the elusive three-continent kill streak. The triple crown. Oh, he is, dude, oh, you fucking know it, brother. <laughs> oh, and fun fact, when his feet hit land in France, this dude's 44 years old. So he's no spring chicken. He's Okay. There's an old saying where don't mess with an old man in a young man's profession. Uh-huh. You know, and that that mostly applies to people like this, where in a, in a, a line of work where people die young, if there's an old man that's still doing it, don't fuck with him because he can kill you by looking at you. Yeah. So he was he was part of what was referred to as the American Expeditionary Force, which um, a lot of countries use that because, like, you also had the British Expeditionary Force, and it was just a flowery way of saying, "Hey, this is where we're from. We're here to kill you." You know, yeah. Uh, so he fought in several battles across France where he did such things as, and I did a bulleted list for this because it's fun, uh, crawling out of a trench under direct machine gun fire and rescuing six Marines that were pinned down and injured in uh, no man's land. Uh huh. On a separate occasion, he captured 13 German soldiers by himself. Um, he also captured a heavily fortified machine gun nest with nothing more than his Colt 1911 and a handful of grenades. They were scared. <laughs> this dude is a fucking psychopath, and I love him. The most notable incident that he would be part of was the Battle of Bellu Wood. This is the first large-scale battle that the U.S. would be involved in in the war, and it took place just about 45 miles northeast of Paris uh, in the tail end of May 1918. So th- this was essentially the last line of defense before the Germans would have just free run to just butt slam Paris. 
So their job was, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to stop them. So um, the U.S. forces were under command of a, a guy by the name of General John J. Pershing, who was a badass in his own right. And he also had a tank named after him in the next World War. <clears throat> and he told them, you keep these guys from breaking through the lines. We're defending Paris. If they get past us, we've basically lost the war. Well, aside from being, you know, Marines, they also had a little help from something that the Germans would actually start bitching and protesting over later that year. Uh, The Marines brought with them motherfucking Winchester Model 97 shotguns. This was the first time that shotguns would be used during war, and they were super effective in trenches. Because uh, if you have, in case you know how a shot, you don't know how a shotgun works. You get it into an enclosed space like that, and you're going to just blow people apart. Yeah. When the Germans would charge up out of the trenches, the Marines would actually hang back and wait until they were within twenty to thirty feet of the trenches, and pop up and just start fucking mowing them down with shotgun shells. And then when they could move forward and jump down into German trenches, they're just slam fire and buckshot into those stupid spiked helmets, just blowing these guys to pieces. And I think it's kind of funny that the Germans complained about it. You know, that, you know, they're getting face fucked with 12 gauges, whatever, but they were totally cool. You know, they were totally cool with chlorine gassing English, French and American troops. No big deal. Fuck it. Whatever. But they're using shotguns. It's not fair. Fuck off. Yeah, it was the it was the war of first. It was the first war with uh, tanks. I mean, not yep. good tanks, but tanks. Well, I mean, tanks nonetheless. It was the first war with uh, mustard gas. Also, the first war with uh, man portable machine guns. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Chemical warfare. Let's put it like yeah. that. Chemical warfare. And <laughs> unless uh, you count what we did to the Indians, but hey, <laughs> well. That wasn't a war. It was. That was it chemical warfare. That was. Well, I mean, we we kind of hey, like, here's hey, a fuck- y'all look hey, here's a blanket. <laughs> yeah, that's biological um, warfare, technically. Yes, uh, but you know, I mean, <laughs> totally it was different. the last. It was the last war, where we kind of fought, you know, on horseback. Yeah, well, th- that's the thing with World War One is a lot of these guys, especially like the French and British, still had like a really romantic view of war like you went off to war and you defended your country and you know everybody had honor and then they're like oh these dickheads have barbed wire and gas yeah a a lot of these french guys went in wearing like their father's uniforms from like when they when they served under napoleon so they've got these stupid like red pants and white gloves and shit and they stand up out of the trenches and just get fucking domed by some german sniper because they had no concept of how to fight a war. Because they'd only heard stories of, you know, oh, this is how we fought shoulder to shoulder, yada, yada, yada. Shit changed real quick. Yeah, then we got there, we were like, no, 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 that's not how you fight a war. What are you no. faggots doing? <laughs> Shut up, sit back, sit down. We'll show you how it's done. We no, been- shh, shh, daddy's got you. It's going to be okay. <laughs> what, snipers? Ha, we've been doing that for since the 1700s. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that these guys take those helmets and they flip them over and they step on the inside of them to push that spike into the ground and then shit in them? 
oh, fuck, no, 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 we can't allow this. <laughs> <laughs> so Daly didn't have a shotgun. He and his men are outnumbered at least, bare minimum, two to one, and facing off against uh, just numerous German machine gun nests. They've been under direct, constant fire for hours. So take a step back and put yourself in that situation for a minute. You're up to your knees in mud. Your feet are literally rotting as you're standing in the tr- in a trench full of rats and your dead buddies with machine guns firing close enough over your head where if you were to go up onto your tiptoes to try to look over, you're going to get your, uh, your brain splashed all over you know, the guy behind you. With no other options and the ends of their lives rapidly approaching, Daly grabs his rifle, looks at his fellow Marines, stands up directly into enemy fire and shouts at the top of his lungs, come on, you sons of bitches, do you really want to live forever? (laughs) He and his fellow (laughs) devil dogs went over the top, proving that in fact, no, they did not want to live forever. And as they fixed bayonets as they're running, they charged the German positions. On June 27th of that same year, the U.S. High Command receives a telegram stating, quote, Woods now, U.S. Marine Corps entirely. (laughs) 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 So Dan Daly, for his action here, is awarded the Navy Cross. (laughs) Because somebody in Washington couldn't just go, you know, three medals of honor now let's do it but they're like no no we've got red tape and bureaucracy and we'll just give him number two instead that's fine uh he was also awarded the uh the french uh, croix de guerre which is the highest award given by the french government to anybody in the military including foreign militaries you can win those because we've seen a couple guys already that won those except i didn't know how to pronounce that before you know Croix de Gris or whatever I fucking called it because I'm retarded. You know, I get it. Um, it's fine. It, don't worry about it. So of all of the awards that he won during all of his time, the ones that one that blows my mind is he never received a purple heart, which means one of two things. He never got wounded badly enough to warrant getting one or he never got wounded, period. Which wouldn't shock me because this guy was apparently made of fucking magic. Well, it doesn't matter how badly you're wounded. If as long as you're wounded, you get one. Yeah, never received one. So either uh-huh. you know, maybe you know maybe he got fucking he got tagged somewhere and his his paperwork got lost and he never got one. <clears throat> or like I said, he never got wounded. Period. Which or somebody <clears throat> fucked up on the paperwork. Yeah, right. I like to think it's more the second one. Yeah. Where he's standing there and like bullets are literally getting out of their like getting out of his way because they're afraid of him. <laughs> so he would retire from the Marine Corps and work as a banker for 17 years. He died at age 65 in 1937, which I'm sure is a relief to the Japanese because I'm pretty sure they would have surrendered a whole bunch quicker if they had known that Chesty Puller, John Bassalone, and Dan Daly were all in the uh, Pacific theater at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. These, those motherfuckers, the three of them together would have ended the Korean and Vietnam wars that hadn't started yet. (laughs) (laughs) Their sheer presence. there is just like, "Mm, Nope. Asia's done fighting. We're done. Yeah. (laughs) See ya. So that's, uh, that's, that's Dan Daly. Um, 
tiny, tiny little badass, you know? Yeah. But holy shit, what uh, half the stuff I'm reading, like I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm like, I just go, you're no bullshit, no way. Really? Find another source, and it's like, well, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> he really did this shit. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. God damn. What a maniac. Uh-huh. But uh yeah, so that's Whoa. uh that's our badasses for this year's uh Memorial Day, which has already passed, but Memorial uh, Day makeup. Yeah. It's there our Memorial go. Day memorial. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So so yeah. anyway, I mean, son of a With bitch. With that said, uh Oof. uh happy bladed Memorial Day. Yes. Um also Thank you. uh hey, if you're in the need for some uh, headphones, earbuds, or Bluetooth speaker. Look no further than dar- uh, than studio.com. Go over to Studio. Check them out. They have yes. what you want. I'm pretty sure of it. And when you find what you want, put it in your basket and go to checkout. Put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in and the little coupon section to get 15% off your entire purchase. And, you know, I'm going to say something right now. If you're looking for any kind of an audio ear device and you can't find one you like with them you don't need one yeah if you can't if you can't find a pair of earbuds that you like with them or headphones or a speaker you don't need them if you can't find one that you can't you don't like there so Uh uh-huh think about that yeah you can also while you're going places on the internet save yourself a trip by going back later go over to darkwindowspod.com that's our website uh-huh. Those are still a thing. Uh-huh. On our website, we have a link to Studio, so you can go and uh, get yourself some awesome stuff there. We also have a link to our Age of Radio page, where you can listen to every episode of this mediocre Atrocity. at best podcast. <laughs> mediocre at best that we've, right. we've been releasing for almost, Jesus, four years at this point. Um, we also have a series of other shows on the network. You can find your next favorite podcast at ageofradio.com. There's a little bit of something for everybody. Exactly. You can also find links to all of our social medias, our Facebook, mm-hmm. at Dark Windows Podcast, our Instagram, and Twitter, because they're both the same. And I use Twitter through Instagram, because I still don't want to use Twitter. Yes. And we are Dark Windows Pod on Instagram. Or you can, I guess you can follow us on Twitter, too, but I don't pay attention to it. So anything all you right. see posted on Twitter from us, it's from Instagram. It's heresy. Exactly. Um, that and I, I get, I just get sick of listening, like seeing people bitch about politics and stuff. Cause that seems like that's all Twitter is, you know, it, it, that's Facebook as well. That's true. But since I had to switch profiles to my backup one, yeah, I have, I haven't like liked any political pages or joined any groups like that. I've been much happier. Cause it's just like, Oh, Hey, a picture of dogs and stuff. Oh, yeah. baseball. Yes, please. Thank you. More podcasts. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> No politics. Yeah. It's fucking magic. I'd love it. Yes. So with that being said, we are going to have uh, I'm assuming we're going to go with a mystery topic for next week. And uh, when I say mystery topic, I mean, we haven't picked one yet. So it's going to be just as much of a surprise for you as it is for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, until I then, hope we like it. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I mean, I hope you like it. Gee golly, mister. I really hope we do a bang up job on the next episode. Always bang, <laughs> slam up job. Uh, boy, howdy. 
anyway, until next time, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Kevin, push that button with the music. Music.